Sometimes when people hear that song, they think that uh, we brought a pop song into church. It's actually just the opposite. That song was written by a guy named Mark Lowry when uh, the pastor of the church that he was attending asked if he could write a song for the Christmas season. And he, he wrote, Mary, did you know, very quickly and sang it in church. And then the song got put away for several years. And about eight years later, it was recorded by a country artist, and it kind of went viral. And then Kathy Matea recorded it as well, and I remember the first time hearing it over at the music circus in Cohasset one night when she was playing there. And it's amazing how sometimes the things we talk about as Christians actually hit the wonder that the world has in the Christmas season. And so it is when we read the story of the Gospels about how God was unveiling His plan. I remember as a child seeing some of the clues that were buried in the Old Testament. In Genesis 3.15, the Lord says to Eve that her offspring one day would crush the head of the evil one. And then later on in Genesis, we find the Lord saying to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through him one day and that his offspring would end up being like the, the stars in the sky. There would be so many. But here's this man who's approaching 100 years old, and his wife is nearly as old, and you wonder, how would all of that come about? And then you ratchet forward, and we read this great part of the story in Luke chapter 1. This is Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Let's pray for a moment. Lord God, thank you for filling not only the pages of the gospel with wonder, but, but also the account of how Jesus became woven into human life and human history and your redemptive history. I pray that you will cause us in this season to take some time and to read again, read with fresh eyes the account that Luke has written up here after investigating all that he could. The account that explains to us 
how you chose to send your son into the world in a very humble way, in a way that didn't attract a lot of attention from the powerful, but in a way that included people at all levels of life. I pray that you will cause us to continue to marvel that Jesus would get up, give up all that he had known in the kingdom of heaven to join us here in this world in the midst of a troubled time and in order to rescue your people. Lord, thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for the way that you cover over our sins and you give us new starts in life and you fill us with hope. Allow that hope that rises from the first arrival of Jesus to fill our hearts and minds and to fill us with a sense of wonder and give us the kind of hope that leads all the way to the return of Jesus one day when you come to complete the project and make the world right. Until that day, use us and enfold us in the story that you are still working out in the midst of this world. In Jesus' name, amen. A Methodist pastor in Oklahoma named Jeremy Bassett tells a story that I think a number of us can relate to. Five-year-old Olivia and her best friend Claire were participating in a Christmas nativity play at their school. Claire was going to play Mary, and her friend Olivia was an angel in this production. Before the show started, all of the the young actors were in a makeshift room where they were putting their costumes on with moms helping them. And there was a young boy who was going around throughout the dressing area repeating, I'm a sheep, what are you? And then each child would respond politely, including Olivia, who proudly declared that she was an angel. The little boy turned toward Claire, who was still struggling into her costume with her mom's help, and the boy repeated his question, I'm a sheep, what are you? And Claire simply said, I'm Mary. Realizing that he was face-to-face with the lead character in this school production, he felt he needed to justify his role. And the little boy said, it's hard being a sheep, you know, with all the seriousness of a five-year-old actor. Yes, said Claire, rather innocently, but it's also hard being a virgin, you know. (laughs) Oh, there is so much in that response. Young Claire had no idea how her comment leads into the questions that most of us wrestle with when we think through all of the complexity involved in this simple yet profound drama of the original Christmas. So I began with that story today in part two of our Unexpected Christmas series because we come to this theme of an unexpected assignment that was given to Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mentioned last week that the idea from this series comes from a book by David Mathis called The Christmas We Didn't Expect. Just hearing this title sparked this series for me, this idea of our unexpected Christmas. This is the Christmas we didn't expect. With daily virus statistics being pronounced in the news, with recently tightened COVID-19 restrictions, with governors in some states telling people that they shouldn't even celebrate Christmas. Every schedule is thrown off, every state in our land and every country on this planet is impacted by a virus that we are so far unable to stop or control. And God's answer to the growing darkness in our world then and now is still the birth of a baby, His very own Son. 
So in this series, we are taking a deeper look at some of the unexpected features of God's Christmas plan. And again, our topic this morning is an unexpected assignment. So let me say good morning to all of you North River friends. I'm glad that you're here today, and I'm glad that uh, there are others who are with us online and who are worshiping in, in your homes. Let me just do this. Let me invite you to participate fully as we go through this week by week. There's a great upside to having so many people connect with us online in the way that we're doing these days. Geographical boundaries are no longer a barrier. They're set aside. But there's also the danger that we can sit back and become spectators rather than worshipers. And so I want to encourage you wherever you are to sing, to laugh, to pray, to respond physically and vocally as much as possible right where you are even in your own home. Let me frame the front part of this message with this question. What was unexpected for Mary? I'd like to look for just a couple of minutes at the unexpected features of the Christmas story for Mary. First, there was an unexpected greeting. It says in verse 28 of Luke chapter 1 that the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Why was this unusual or unexpected? Well, up until that moment, Mary had not thought of herself as highly favored. This was the kind of language that was usually reserved for the powerful, the important people in the world. Mary was from Nazareth, a tiny village, not from the big city of Jerusalem. People who lived there were poor or just one step up from poor, not privileged, not famous, not powerful. Remember that even in biblical times, Angelic visits were rare. We read this today and it fits into the story that we know well and that we have rehearsed so we know what is coming. We tend to think, oh yeah, Gabriel. Oh yeah, he just appeared to Zechariah in the previous story that we looked at last Sunday. But Mary didn't know that yet. She didn't know that her relative Elizabeth was pregnant in a miraculous way. Angelic visits were rare in biblical times too. And often they were terrifying. When Balaam saw an angel, he fell to the ground and bowed in fear. Same thing with Joshua. In King David's day, the Lord sent an angel who brought judgment on the nation of Israel because of David's sin. And the angel didn't relent until David repented and thousands of people were affected. So just because an angel appears, we shouldn't assume an atmosphere of calm and casual reactions. It was an unexpected greeting. There was also a message that he brought of an unexpected pregnancy. Imagine you're 14 years old, 15 years old, and you hear these words play out. But he said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. I imagine Mary heard these words and said, What? Can you repeat that, please? Now, the Bible is clear about two things at this point, that Mary was betrothed and that Mary was a virgin. Betrothal was a family-oriented approach to an arranged marriage that lasted a year or more. Jewish girls of that era were commonly betrothed somewhere between the ages of 13 and 17. Some 
a little bit older, but most in that range. This is where the notion that Mary was very young comes from. We don't know how, how exactly how young because the biblical texts don't tell us an age for her. Betrothal was a legal contract that bound a young man and a young woman together. It could not be broken without legal and often financial penalties. Once they were betrothed, the couple could not meet together unchaperoned until the day of the wedding. And so the betrothal period only ended with that final wedding celebration. And then the marriage would be consummated through a sexual union. Unlike today when so many unmarried couples have sex before marriage, young betrothed Jewish women rarely engaged in sex before marriage. It would have been a scandal. The chaperones were there to prevent all of that, even if the desire was strong. This expectation was part of the betrothal contract. So when Mary throws out her question, how will this be since I am a virgin, the word virgin means just that. This meant that Mary's life was about to get very complicated. Just think about the reactions. Would Joseph, her fiancé, believe what the angel had told her? Or would he claim that her pregnancy violated this betrothal contract and begin the process of ending it? Matthew's gospel lets us know this is exactly what Joseph was wrestling with. How would her parents and her family respond? Would they understand and support her through all of this? Or would she be alone and pregnant and then a single mother in an unsupportive culture? Little Claire got it right. It's not easy being a virgin in the Christmas story. Here's the main idea that I want to get across this morning. God often involves people he loves in his redemptive work. He did that then, he does that now. God often involves people that he loves in his redemptive work in other people's lives. Here's the third unexpected feature. There was an unexpected greeting, an unexpected pregnancy, and an unexpected inclusion. In verse 30, we find the angel saying to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Out of all the people, all the young women in the world, Mary had been chosen. Favor is an interesting word. One dictionary definition says that favor is a friendly disposition towards someone, especially from a superior. So here's Mary. She was poor. She was part of a, a, a minority. The Jewish people were a minority in the Roman world. And now, all of a sudden, she had found favor, not only with any superior, but with God himself, the creator. And for one suspenseful moment, God's plan for worldwide redemption hung on the response of a teenaged girl. For that reason, some of the most courageous, important words ever spoken by a human being come from Mary's response. May it be to me as you have said, one of the older versions puts it that way. She didn't take long to think it over. She would take on the role of giving birth to Jesus, God's Son. She didn't sleep on it or ask her best friends for their advice. She took the angel's announcement as a tap on the shoulder from God and said, 
okay, I'm in. And with that simple, amazing statement, Mary was included in a very pivotal role in God's redemptive plan. Let's talk about Mary for a few minutes. Let's start with something we can all agree on. Most Protestant teachers for the past 500 years have underplayed the importance of Mary in the Christmas story. Most Roman Catholic thinkers over the past 500 years have tended to overplay the role of Mary. And that leads to some of the, the uh, denominational differences that we have in the way that we've looked at Mary at, at Christmas time. When we encounter doctrinal disagreements, we usually do one of two things. Many run from it with the result that we never go deep enough to try and resolve whatever the issue is. Others run like heat-seeking missiles to blast the other side with truth, thinking they will expose their false beliefs and proclaim that the other side are all heretics. Jesus and the apostles called us to speak truth in love. Jesus actually said that we must be careful when gathering up the weeds that we don't pull up the roots with the wheat too. There's a lot of complexity and a lot of thinking that's gone in on both sides of this when we talk about Mary. Because Mary said yes to God's tap on the shoulder that day when the angel spoke to her, she experienced all the wonders of the Christmas events that we still marvel over. She heard the shepherds come down from the hills with their story of the angelic host. She received the gifts and humble bows from the wise men perhaps a year or more later. She winced with the prophecy of old Simeon when they went to the temple to dedicate Jesus eight days later, who told her that a sword would pierce her own soul too. She witnessed the wisdom, healing, and teaching of Jesus' ministry years. She urged him toward his first public miracle when he turned water into wine at a wedding. She survived the pain of his arrest, his scourging, and his crucifixion. She stood at the cross with John as Jesus forgave those who crucified him and heard him say the words, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. She rejoiced at the news from the women who came back from the tomb saying that he is risen and she will forever be the mother of the very Son of God. Let us also step back from some confusing, somewhat non-biblical ideas about Mary that sometimes work their way into the church. For centuries, Christian thinkers have asked questions about Mary's role. In 1854, Pius IX wrote that Mary was conceived without original sin. This encouraged veneration of Mary to a place of deification and worship. It was a new idea. It was a new thought that had, that had been growing but had not been a, even officially a part of any church doctrine until that point. We can certainly understand how people would wrestle with how Mary could give birth to a sinless child if she herself was a sinner like the rest of us. But in doing this, Pius IX created a tradition that sees Mary as part of a divine monarchy that rules heaven with Mary as heaven's queen and as a co-redeemer with Christ. Again, there's no biblical support for these kind of designations. Nothing in Scripture gives Mary the role of being a co-mediator with Jesus. 
Scripture does say that there's no other mediator between God and mankind except Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 2.5. Then in 1892, Leo XII took this controversy to another level when he issued what was called the Magne Dei Matris, inviting people to pray to Mary in order to receive help from her treasury of grace. This is tied to the notion that we are saved by our own works of grace and that some saints live such good lives that they have so much extra grace stored up that they can dole it out to the rest of us if we pray to the right person or to the right saint like Mary. But the Bible teaches us that we are all sinners who are saved only by God's grace, that grace is a gift of God to all who come through Jesus equally. To pray to anyone else is to deny that Jesus alone is our Savior and our Redeemer or that He needed help. Even when it comes from well-meaning teachers, these things distract us from putting our faith directly in Jesus, which is the central call of all Scripture as the Savior that we all, including Mary, need. Traditions like this were what caused Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic priest, to argue for what became known as the three solas or the three sole, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia. Sola scriptura means by Scripture alone, so we use Scripture as our authority. Sola fide means by faith alone, that we don't need somebody else's extra merit. It's by our faith in Christ that the Lord receives us and welcomes us. Sola gratia means by, by grace alone. It is always God's gift. We never earn our way there. Nobody is good enough to get themselves into heaven. God often involves people He loves in His redemptive work. So here's the next question. How does God include us in His redemptive work? Let me read one thought that addresses that question. It comes from Romans chapter 10, just four verses, 10, 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'd like to suggest four ways that God includes us in His redemptive work today. The first is when we share the message of Jesus. The Apostle Paul asks, how can they believe in the one they have not heard? The Greek word behind this word that we have in our English language for preaching is the word kerygma. It carries the idea of delivering a message. That does not have to look like what I'm doing right now where you stand in front of a crowd of people and one person talks that way. The message of Christ can be delivered in many ways. Actual preaching is just one. It can be a conversation over coffee answering questions from a friend, teaching your child while you're putting them down for bed at night, watching a movie that deals with a Christian theme or a Christmas theme, inviting a friend to watch North River online. A carefully worded Christmas card can serve exactly the same purpose. It may, makes people think. A second way that God includes us in His redemptive work is when we share our faith stories. Paul asks again, how can they hear unless someone tells them? Your story of how you came to believe in Jesus 
and why you believe carries such power and such influence with people you know and who care about you. So Paul quotes Isaiah in that passage in Romans 10. Romans 10. How beautiful, he says, are the feet of those who bring good news. That's the way Mary responded to the angel. Rather than simply being terrified, she got caught up in the wonder of what God was doing. And when God said, Mary, you're not even going to understand the complexity of what I'm going to tell you right now. But you are going to bring God's Son into the world. And she just says, may it be to me as you have said. May your word be accomplished. What an amazing response. Even their arrival, even at their arrival, their footsteps are encouraging reminders of grace when someone comes with good news. A third way is when we pray for other people. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his field. Jesus was there introducing us to the connection between prayer and how people come to embrace the gospel of Jesus. That very often when somebody responds to Christ in faith, somebody has been praying for them along the way. And through their prayers, God has operated in that person's life. He's begun to open the way that they think and, and sometimes removing the hardness of the heart so that people are drawn to what he's doing and to who he is. We've been asking the question around here for several months, who's your one? Who's the one person that God has placed on your heart that you've been praying for? That there'll be a spiritual breakthrough, an understanding that has not been there before. Are you continuing to pray for that person? Pray for our pastoral staff team too. Pray that we will be effective communicators of God's truth and grace and that we won't get in the way or that we will do nothing to disqualify ourselves from the privilege of being able to share this good news with our friends, with the North River community, with the world. So God includes us in a number of ways when we share the message of Jesus, when we share our faith stories, when we pray for others, and when we send and support Pray for and support the missionaries that we are connected with as a church. Paul asks, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? They need our financial support as well. In all these ways, God involves us in His redemptive work. Here's the point. God often involves people He loves in His redemptive work. And He is still getting the message of Jesus out to people who either have only had a casual understanding and have not responded to Jesus personally, or to people who've never heard, or people who've never slowed down enough to get behind the traditions to say what really happened behind the Christmas cards and the crushes that come out. And what is God saying to me? I know that what God is saying to us as a church is very simple, that God includes us in the way that the redemptive plan continues to get distributed in the way that is received in the hearts and minds of people today. And when we share our stories, when we tell people about Jesus, when we pray for others, when we're involved in supporting those who spend their lives doing that kind of work, we too become a part of the story. Because the story is not just about the past, the story is about people whose lives are changed in the present because of Jesus.
And that happens every year around Christmas. And it's going to happen with some of our friends and some of our family members this year too. As you and I are included in the story, as you and I respond to God's tap on the shoulder when he says, it's time to tell your story. Tell them about me. Tell them about grace. Tell them about Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for causing us and allowing us to be wrapped up in a story that at once is old and new and fresh. Thank you for the mystery of how you work these themes of grace, redemption, forgiveness, and life change into our hearts and minds. Lord, we know we live in a skeptical age. We have so much information. And yet, we all still long to know that we are included in what you are doing in this world, that we are forgiven, and that we have a bright future because you are at work within us. I pray that you would do all of these things in our lives over the next couple of weeks as we celebrate together, as we talk with our friends and our families about Christmas and what it really means and how Jesus is changing our lives. Thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you so much for prompting the heart of Mary to respond the way that she did and for making her such an example for all of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for being with us here today and through this season. Uh, despite all that we're going through, I'm looking forward to a great Christmas season together and hope to see you next week.